All right, everyone, and welcome back to the Talking Redbird Baseball Podcast. This is episode 13. We are going to do somewhat of a part two of the Cardinals kind of off-season roster update. I am recording this on December 6th. It is Wednesday. The winter meetings just started a couple days ago. It's been slightly uneventful. Um, The Cardinals have already gotten most of their signings out of the way, at least on the pitching side of things. Of course, um, you know, they're not done yet. But it, you know, we we've made a big, big leap forward. Now, it's given me about a week to kind of digest the signings, go over the numbers, talk to people about them, read articles about them. My initial gut reaction was kind of upset. But, you know, looking back, hearing Mosellock and uh, Marmol the last couple of days at the winter meetings being interviewed and going over the signings, you know, I think I'm starting to come around to them a little bit. So I'm kind of glad that I waited to record this episode instead of, you know, if I would have recorded this reactionary episode about a week ago, it would be much more negative. So I'm kind of glad I let myself digest it. Um, We're going to start with a little bit of an offseason update. So we're going to talk about the players that we've gotten rid of, non-tendered, where our 40-man roster is at this moment. Um, Talk about, you know, what does the non-tendering tell us? get into what we need as a squad, as a team, get into, of course, the three major signings that the Cardinals made. Um, And then I will end with a little bit of a budget overview. You know, where do the Cardinals kind of go from here? There's a little bit going on like right now as I'm recording this. Um, There's not enough information out for me to record on it. So I guess it'll just have to, it'll have to wait for, uh, for next episode. So, so the first part that I wanted to cover today was of course, just an update on the 40 man roster. So how I ended the last episode was there again, we were at 40. Um, we, the, all the, all of the spots on the 40 man roster were completely full. So we had no room to add outside additions. Now I knew, you know, I ended the episode last time saying, of course, this is going to change because the Cardinals are going to make free agent signings and trades will happen and you know, all that stuff. So I expected a lot of change on the roster and about 24 hours after I published my last episode, um, some pretty hefty news came out. And that was that uh, the Cardinals decided to non-tender four players that were on the, you know, not only the 40-man roster, but on the active roster, right? These four players have played somewhat of a substantial role for us over the last couple of years. So a couple of them I predicted. One of them I was very surprised about. And the other one... I was not as surprised about, but I didn't really think that they would do that. Um, So let's start by the two that I predicted, and that is Dakota Hudson and Jake Woodford. Now, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. Just about anybody that watched the Cardinals and pays a little bit of attention, you know, saw the kind of the writing on the wall with those two pitchers. They they both had an ERA above five. They weren't even given quality innings anymore. Um, They were both getting, you know, 1.2 to 3 million, somewhere in that range. Again, that's not a lot, but... You know, when you can call up most of your AAA arms and pay them half of a million dollars to give you the same and probably better production, um, six million can add up, right? So six million can go out and get you uh, an above average reliever or something. So, so kind of cutting the ties on that middle ground. If you if you're a St. Louis Post Dispatch reader, or you know, if you follow the the Cardinals beat writers on on social media. Ben Fredrickson, he is a he's a Cardinals beat reporter, along with Derek Gould and um, Hotchman and a couple of these these other guys. My brother actually sent it to me this morning and I read it and it's a wonderful article just talking about kind of where 
on the mentality side of things the Cardinals are and why some of these moves, you know, again, we'll talk about the Lance Lynn move and the Kyle Gibson move here in a bit. Um, you know, why that might not be super flashy, but what, you know, what it tells us on the mentality side of things and how the Cardinals have, you know, they have their fair share of young, young, young players, you know, the Mason wins, Ivan Herrera, Jordan Walker's the, the 21, 22 year olds. Um, but where we have a lot of players, the bulk of our active roster is somewhere in that, you know, middle ground. They're not necessarily veterans yet, like the Arenados and Goldschmidt's and Contreras's and Michaelis and all them. But they're also not super young, right? They didn't just debut. So, in the, again, this is the Dakota Hudson's of the world. Jake Woodford, Juan Yepes, Andrew Kisner. Spoiler alert, I just named the other two players that the Cardinals uh, released. Um, you know, Tommy Edmond, I would put in that group. But he's valuable enough, of course, to keep. Um, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, these players that they're not necessarily veterans yet. Um, you know, but they've been in for three-plus seasons to where – you know, they're just not, you know, the Cardinals can only give them so many chances. Dylan Carlson has given, has been given two plus years um, to, to rein in a starting spot, right. To improve his offense. And he's yet to do it. They've given Dylan Carl. I'm sorry. They've given Tyler O'Neill three years <laughs> to try to, you know, not necessarily snag a starting spot because he's been a regular starter for all three of those years. Um, but to, you know, just to take a veteran leadership role, right? Take that next step. He, in 2021, he had that breakout year and he's not even been able to get close to replicating it since then. Um, so they've given him just about every opportunity in the books and he just hasn't really done it, right? Same thing with Dakota Hudson. He's been given two plus seasons to try to snag a starting spot. Juan Yepes, you know, maybe hasn't been given as many chances as these other guys have, but um, Andrew Kisner, up until this past year was very, very, very below average, but the Cardinals um, just continued to play him. Right. And he kind of showed that, you know, he can definitely be an at least average backup catcher. Um, but the Cardinals just, you know, they have Ivan Herrera in the books, three of their top, you know, 20 prospects are all catchers as well. One of whom is kind of knocking on the door as well in AAA. So having Wilson Contreras signed for the next couple of years, having Ivan Herrera under about five more years of control, um, just it made Andrew Kisner um, made him expendable. And so that was the one that kind of surprised me just because I think he I thought he had done enough this year to to take a spot next year. And maybe they would float around Ivan Herrera's name in some trades because having a 22 year old that's above average offensively and at least an average defender with five years of cheap control. Um, again, 22 years old is is pretty valuable, but I guess they did. They you know, they decided they wanted to keep him and um at least keep that catching depth and, you know, maybe they'll do something with them in the future. or Maybe they'll start to put Wilson Contreras in the DH spot a little bit more. So Herrera can catch more, you know, maybe they'll do kind of a 50 fit 50, 50 uh, catching split duty, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it made Andrew Kisner expendable. So he was one that they got rid of again, Dakota Hudson, Jake Woodford. They've been given every chance under the, under the sun to, to, uh, to be, be, you know, be at least be an average pitcher for the Cardinals and they can't even do that. So, um, those two, I kind of predicted it. And again, the last one is Juan Yepes, one that I was kind of sad about in 2021. He had a huge breakout triple a year, um, came in, came out at the very end of the year and, you know, ha you know, did, kind of underwhelmed, but again, rookie struggling right out of the gate is a tale as old as time. So, um, all of 2022 kind of played on and off, had a great moment for us in the playoffs of 2022, right against the Phillies before we ended up losing that game. And then this past year, you know, he did, he didn't really get a ton of opportunity. I think his, uh, he's very, very, very bad defensively. 
Um, he doesn't have a ton of defensive versatility, and the Cardinals would have rather given those at-bats to Jordan Walker, which, again, I can't blame them. So for those of you that are not familiar, again, these four players, what non-tender means is that they have just chosen to not give them a contract. They are still under, or if they would have been given a contract, they are under team control for three more years each. Juan Yepes is actually four in that case. So, or no, three as well. Sorry. But even though the Cardinals could have kept all four of them just as depth, they decided they wanted to give these opportunities to some other players. So they got rid of all of them. Now, what the Cardinals can do when they non-tender a player is they can look for trades. They can say, hey, we're about to non-tender this player. Um, instead of us essentially letting anyone sign them, you know, let's talk to these other teams and see if any of them want to trade for this player, you know, before we just kind of release him. You know, if they expect a lot of players to, or I'm sorry, a lot of different teams to put in an offer on the same guy, they can approach these teams beforehand and say, hey, here in a couple of days, we're going to non-tender them. We expect, you know, many teams to be interested, but would you want to make a trade for them? And we can just skip all that, right? Essentially giving teams a little bit of a leg up. That's exactly what the Cardinals did with Riley O'Brien, the relief pitcher that we just got from the Seattle Mariners. They were about to non-tender him. They didn't have room for them. There, they did not have room for him on the 40-man roster. They expected kind of a cat fight over him. So they were like, okay, well, if we're going to release him for nothing, let's see if these other teams are interested. And the Cardinals were. And we traded for him before, again, many other teams would have given him an offer. So it is very telling that the Cardinals non-tendered all four of these players because what that means is there were zero teams interested in trading for all four of these players. So Again, Woodford, I'm not surprised about. Hudson, I'm not surprised about. Because, again, you can find cheap AAA depth pitching all over the place, right? But Andrew Kisner has, again, he had an above-average backup catcher year. And some teams are hurting for catching. So that one surprised me a bit. And then, again, Juan Yepes, nothing crazy, but has shown that given the right opportunity, he has some thump and can provide somewhat of an above-average bat, at least in the DH spot. So, um you know, I thought someone would take a flyer on him, but I guess no one was interested. So so those are the four players that we have now, again, non-tendered, or if you want to just think of it as a release, um, you know, same outcome either way. And that puts our 40-man roster at 36 out of 40. So four spots available, um, and I will approach that here in a little bit. So again, what, do, what does non-tendering those four players tell us, right? They, one, money. It saves them about $7 million collectively between the four. Again, that is not the end of the world. Um, but it, 7 million is 7 million, right? It can, it can bridge the gap and, and get us maybe an above average reliever or some of these players, um, you know, again, 7 million is significant enough, um, to warrant that move, right? They are very serious about getting quality innings next year in 2024. Um, hence the three players that we're about to talk about are all pitchers. Okay. Um, and they have just kind of made a shift away from just letting the incumbents, you know, get the first chance at eating some of these innings up. And I'm glad they've kind of made that switch, right? They got rid of Kisner because they want Herrera to catch more innings, which again, he's, he's a better catcher than Kisner is. That's a fact. He's younger, cheaper, more control and is a much better bat. Now, Ivan Herrera is too good to sit the bench as much as Kisner did, uh, did which is why I expect him to play more than Kisner did for sure. So um, I expect Wilson Contreras to DH a little bit more starting next season as well. And then if they expect to have Wilson Contreras DH a little bit more and the, you already have Gorman as a DH half the time anyway, 
there's just simply no room for Juan Yepes, who doesn't provide much defensively and can really only only play in the DH spot. So um, again, just no room for him. Let him let him get a kind of a change of scenery. Again, all four of them saves us about seven million, which again is significant. So let's uh, let's move on, right? So those are the four players we non-tendered. Now let's talk about what the Cardinals did to replace at least three of those four spots. Okay, first the Cardinals started out. The winter meetings again. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. The winter meetings are this week. The Cardinals have not done much this week at all. Now there's been talks about, you know, trading for a reliever, signing a reliever, but nothing has really um, nothing. Nothing has really happened yet. So let's rewind two weeks. Okay. Two weeks ago was what we called the general managers meetings, the GM meetings. This is where the GMs get together. There's not nearly as much media involved. The managers don't go. It's more of a kind of a silent weekend with all 30 general managers and the general manager teams. You know, John Rosalock doesn't make decisions by himself, right? He has a couple, he has kind of a posse that follows him. And um, that's the same with all, you know, 30 teams. So a couple of weeks ago was what, what we call the GM meetings. And that's where they just kind of go around and they have meetings together and they say, hey, um, the, this is who we have available. This is what we want. Right around that time, also free agency opens. So players that have elected free agency are then now free to sign with whoever. Typically in the NBA or in the NFL, as soon as it hits midnight on whatever day that that is, that free agents are available to sign, it is a frenzy. You will see, you know, dozens of players probably have these deals lined up with these teams days in advance, but they can't make them official until you know, the day on the calendar that the MLB tells them or the NFL tells them, hey, you at, you know, on, let's say December 1st, you are available to sign or you're free to sign whoever you want. Okay. They really, they have these deals. They have these deals lined up, you know, days in advance. They have talked to players weeks in advance, but they just haven't been able to make it official yet. So two weeks ago was the GM meetings. And that is when free agency become or became available. Cardinals could have signed whoever they wanted. Now there were reports of them wanting to get ahead of the curve, you know, the market fluctuates in free agency, right? If the, uh, these big name pitchers don't usually like to sign at the beginning because the players that wait a little bit longer typically tend to get more money. And that's exactly what happened this time too. So at the very, very, you know, first hour that free agents were available to sign with teams, Aaron Nola signed with the Philadelphia Phillies for seven years, 170 million. Now, that was a little bit more than what players or I'm sorry, teams were expecting him to get. So what I mean by the market fluctuating is these players that, you know, they don't really care about money as much. Again, seven years for one hundred and seventy million is just north of twenty four million dollars a year. So don't get me wrong. It is it's a significant amount of money. But Aaron Nola wanted to be back in Philly. He turned down more money from Atlanta and apparently from multiple other teams to go back to Philadelphia. So these players that don't really care about money as much will sign right away. And they, they do what's called setting the market. So players that are now, you know, better than Aaron Nola can be like, okay, well, he got this. So I will be expecting more than this or players that maybe are a tier below Aaron Nola will get a little bit less than him. Right. So he kind of, he kind of set the market. So the Cardinals, I think, were waiting for one big fish to fall. Um, and that was Aaron Nola, because right after that happened, the Cardinals made three signings in four days. The first one being Lance Lynn. Now, of course, 
Cardinal fans are very familiar with Lance Lynn. He started his career in St. Louis, pitched there for six years, had some great seasons, almost all-star caliber caliber level uh, seasons. He was a part of the 2011 World Series team as well. Um, He is now 36 years old, coming off of a, you know, notorious down year. But let me tell you why that's a little, uh, his ERA, let me, let's go back, right? Again, coming off a down year, started 2022, I'm sorry, started 2023 with the Chicago White Sox. The Chicago White Sox, again, this is not a White Sox podcast, so I'm not going to get into it too much. They are a shit show. They have completely sold every one of their players. They have fired their manager. Um, It's a very toxic, widely, uh, widely reported on situation. He hated being there. He said there was no leadership. He would he him and some other players got on get, you know got onto it a little bit. July thirty first, he got traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, for those of you that aren't aware of the Los Angeles Dodgers, this this is going to pain me to say it because one of my best friends is a Dodgers fan, so we I actively root against them. But I have to give credit where credit is due, and the Dodgers do not sign older players or trade for older players unless they know that there's something left in the tank. The Dodgers are one of a few organizations across the league that are widely, widely respected for their ability to pull talent out of these players that have seemingly had horrible starts to the year, or maybe they're coming off of two bad years. The the Dodgers will sign them to a cheap one-year deal, you know, transform their pitching arsenal or change their stance, whatever. And, you know, the Dodgers are where, old dead players go to be risen from the ashes, right? So as soon as the Dodgers traded for Lance Lynn, I was like, oh, they must see something in him um, that, you know, is worth taking a chance on. He had a 6.9 ERA with the Chicago White Sox. Horrible. One of the worst in the league. His last 64 innings with the Los Angeles Dodgers, he had a 2.28. Oh my gosh, that is wild. Way off. Sorry, let's go back. A 4.28 ERA with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, is a 4.28 ERA elite? No. Is it above average? Technically, yes. Right? 4.4, 4.5 ERA is about the league average. So 4.28 is above average. He made a start for them in the playoffs. Looked good. He had numerous, numerous, numerous quality starts throughout the entire year. But he did have his fair share of blowups with the Dodgers. Now, if we look at what's called fielding independent pitching, which I've talked about this stat before, but just giving a brief overview, fielding independent pitching is very, very, very similar to ERA. So, um, you know, don't get super confused. Most of you know what ERA is. Fifth, fielding independent pitching, FIP, is very, very close to ERA, but it takes out the factors that a pitcher cannot control. Um, the elements in the weather that they're playing in that day, you know, are they playing in a ballpark that is notorious for, uh, you, you know, allowing high amount of runs. So, you know, Coors Field, Cincinnati, Oakland, those, you know, these big monstrous, you know, domes and stadiums that offenses, you know, inflated there a little bit. His fielding independent pitching was 4.7. His ERA was 5.7. So what that tells us is he was getting a little bit unlucky. Uh, The batted ball data was, you know, in his favor a little bit. And again, he only had a 1.3 whip. So whip stands for walks plus hits per innings pitched. So typically anything around a 1.3, 1.4 is where you want to be. Below that is great. Above that, you know, you're allowing, you know, again, think, think about walks and hits. Those are really the only two ways that 
you know, batters get on base besides hit by pitches. So whip is a good stat to just say, Hey, how many, how many batters are you allowing to get to reach base? So a 1.3 whip is definitely respectable. A 4.3 ERA in his last, you know, 10 or so starts with the Dodgers again, very respectable. So yes, is he 36 years old? Did we give him a $12 million deal? Yes. Was it initially pretty scary? Yes, because he is coming off a bad year. I think, you know, most people look at that 5.7 ERA that he had last year um, and are initially scared by it, right? But then when you look behind the scenes a bit, you can see, you know, why the Cardinals did it. Lance Lynn has also a notorious bulldog uh, mentality, right? An accountability. He he oozes accountability, right? He he dogs on the other pitchers. He, But he also, you know, benefits from them and wants to wants to make them better and constantly is talking about pitching he eats sleeps and breathes pitching but he's also going to add again some accountability he's going to add some chemistry to the clubhouse i think you know looking at both of those things the cardinals figured you know hey he had 13 quality starts he's an innings eater he had 183 innings last year 191 strikeouts he's you know even though he's 36 he's still striking out people with the best of them you know, yeah, that ERA is inflated a little bit, but let's, you know, let's work on that a little bit. Bush Stadium notoriously is pretty pitcher friendly as well. Um, so, you know, pitchers notoriously come to come to St. Louis and see their stats drop a little bit. So all in all, I think it was a good signing. Now, if you're expecting Lance Lynn to be a, two, a one or a two or hell, even a three, I think, you know, maybe that's not where, you know, that's not the signing that we want, of course. Um, but if Lance Lynn can be a four or a five, you know, I think, I think that that's great. Again, you look at how many starters the Cardinals had last year that were below the age of 26, couldn't go longer than, you know, three to four, hell, five innings. Um, and that took up about half of our starts, right? The Cardinals had a league low amount of quality starts. Now quality starts are kind of a, kind of an older, more traditional stat. You know, they, they don't, there's other variables that can play into a, a quality start, but the basis of a quality start is can you pitch six innings and allow three or less runs, right? Are you giving your chance, your team a chance to win? And the Cardinals couldn't do that last year. They never had starters go into the sixth, fifth, or the sixth inning, let alone even the fifth inning sometimes. You know, you look at all the starts that Drew Rahm, Matthew Liberatore, um, Dakota Hudson, Jake Woodford, all these players, Zach Thompson. You know, Zach Thompson still, he was pretty good, but not where you want our starters to be. So um, I think handing the reins over to Lance Lynn, plus the next two guys that I'm about to talk about, um, you know, is definitely a step forward, you know. So let's talk about the next guy. So the very next day, right, Lance Lynn signed one day. The very next day, the Cardinals gave a one-year, $10 million contract to Kyle Gibson. He is, again, also 36 years old. He's coming off of a year with the Orioles where he pitched 192 innings, so workhorse. Again, also 1.3 whip, so walks and hits per innings pitched. So 1.3, very respectable. Now, he is coming off of a 4.7 ERA, but again, looking at his fielding independent pitching, it was at 4.1. So again, batted ball data is in his favor a little bit. He's not allowing a whole lot of loud contact. Um, his ERA was inflated a little bit because of whatever reason. A 4.1 fielding independent pitching is closer to where he was truly. Again, and you look at Lance Lynn, Lance Lynn was a 4.7 fit, which is a whole run lower than what his ERA was. So Kyle Gibson again is, again, someone that maybe got a little bit unlucky last year. 
everything good that Lance Lynn brought to the table is times 10 with Kyle Gibson, right? Workhorse, 36 years old, 192 innings pitched last year. Now, he's not quite the strikeout pitcher that Lance Lynn is, um, but has enough to, you know, he's definitely not like a ground ball contact heavy pitcher. Um, He had 17 quality starts last year. So, again, the same thing, right? You bring toughness. You bring durability. In in two signings, the Cardinals added 30 quality starts to their staff. And the Cardinals had about 50 last year total. And we just added 30 with two pitchers. So, um, you know, again, between the two signings, it's $22 million. But, again, they're one-year deals. One-year deals typically don't scare me a lot because if the season goes south – in July, we can trade them away, right? It's a one-year deal. We're not financially strapped to that player for a long period of time. It's a one-year deal, okay? Another thing about Kyle Gibson that a lot of people don't realize is he is best friends with Adam Wainwright. They grew up together. He's actually the vice president of Adam Wainwright's charity foundation. He's been at all of the um, all of the Wainwright Foundation's you know charities over the last couple of years. He's pitched with the Orioles, he's been on the Phillies. He was on the Texas Rangers for a bit. You know, he was on the Minnesota Twins for a bit. So he's been around. He's talked to a lot of different pitching coaches. He's worked under a lot of different managers, right? He's, you know, he's been described as being a sponge. He, he again, oozes pitching. And like Mosellock said, a big thing that drew Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson to the team is that they wanted to be Cardinals, right? Kyle Gibson turned down more money to be a St. Louis Cardinal. So, you know, Wainwright, of course, is not going to have much to do with the team this year. He's not taking on a coaching role. Um, you know, he's obviously retired. But, you know, having Wainwright's influence a little bit, right, is, is going to allow Gibson to kind of have a seamless transition into the clubhouse. And he's going to be one that is immediately respected by the younger players, right? He brings a wisdom um, that I just don't think a lot of our pitchers really have. So him and Lance Lynn together, you know, from the outside looking in, right, if we look at the outside They're both 36 years old, right? They both got 10 plus million dollars. They both had either a 4.7 or higher ERA last year, right? Those, if you look at those very peripheral things, no. Are these two signings elite? No, right? But if you can throw Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson into the back end of the rotation, again, they averaged 187 innings last year. They averaged a 1.3 whip. They averaged a 4.4 fielding independent pitching. And collectively, they had 30 quality starts. So you're handing so many of these innings to just much more durable pitchers, right? Pitchers that you know, you know, sure, they might give up the long ball every once in a while, but they're not going to have these blow-up outings where they're walking five in a row like Libertor and they're, you know, allowing six hits in a row like Jake Woodford and, you know, these unproven pitchers that the Cardinals had to rely on, unfortunately, last year. They're not going to have to do that this year, right? So... Lance Lynn and Gibson just bring a depth to the back end of the Cardinals rotation. So one that you can rely on more than the Cardinals have been able to in the last three plus years. So initially I was not a fan of either one of those signings, right? Because they were the first two signings that the Cardinals made. So I think going into the, going into the off season, we were all very much aware that the Cardinals needed to sign elite pitching or just lots of pitching in any way possible. So, you know, starting the, starting the free agency period with two 36 year olds, um, you know, yeah, I had, I had my moment, right. I was texting my friends bitching and all that stuff. But again, uh, the last two weeks has given me a chance to really look at, at what the signings mean. Of course, the Cardinals made another signing a couple of days after, um, that made me much happier that I'll talk about here in a second. 
but, but Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson, you know, slam dunk signs. They're both local. One, again, one of them started their career in St. Louis. The other one lives around here. Is best friends with Adam Wainwright. Um, they're going to immediately, again, bring so much chemistry and accountability to the staff and the clubhouse in general. And um, yeah, slam dunk signings. Okay. So let's move on to the third and the last signing that the Cardinals have made. And this is the one that we were all kind of hoping to see. You know, I think looking at the list of free agent possibilities, which I went over a couple episodes ago, they're, you know, Yamamoto, Blake Snell coming off of a Cy Young. You have Aaron Nola, who I already discussed a couple minutes ago, signed with the Phillies. You have these pitchers that are probably all a little bit better than the pitchers that the pitcher that I'm about to talk about. But Sonny Gray is right on their level in accords to durability. Um, output the last two years, right? He's he's 34 years old. The Cardinals signed him to a three-year, seven seventy-five million dollar deal. So again, three years doesn't scare me at all. Aaron Nola got seven years, and he's only two years younger. Um, so the Phillies are going to be strapped to Aaron Nola for seven more seasons when Aaron Nola's 38 or 39 years old. Um, Sonny Gray's, you know, he's only going to have three more seasons, so 34, 35, 36. When Sonny Gray is 36 and career probably declining a bit, the Cardinals can kind of wash their hands of that deal. So I think is a absolute slam dunk. Again, he is old, right? He's 34, a little bit. You know, you typically see um, players reach free agency around 30, 31. Um, but Sonny Gray got a little bit of a late start to his career, had a couple season-ending injuries that delayed, you know, when he would hit free agency coming off of a phenomenal year for the Minnesota twins. He, you know, going into the season was not their ACE, you know, probably not even their number two, um, but absolutely ended the season as their number one pitcher. He finished second in the AL Cy Young voting um, to Garrett Cole of the New York Yankees, who was very deserving. Um, You know, you look at Sonny Gray's win and loss record and it's not very flashy. He was eight wins, eight losses. Um, But that's why wins are a worthless stat. Um, You need to look at the, the background numbers, right? And the background numbers are just great. He had 184 innings, so very, very durable. Does not have an injury history outside of, again, those couple season-ending injuries that, you know, seem to seem to just happen randomly, right? It's not like he has a history of getting injured every season. Very durable. Made, again, made 184 innings last year, or pitched 184 innings last year. 183 strikeouts. So, again, one strikeout shy of meeting that threshold that I think, you know, most – pitchers want to hit and that's where you're striking out just as many innings as you're striking out as many guys as you are, you know, having innings pitched. So 184 to 183. So you're, you know, he's right where we want him to be 2.79 ERA with an even lower FIP, a 2.4 FIP, which was one of the best in the league last year with a 1.1 walks slash hits per innings pitched. So, you know, barely allowing any runners and the runners that get on don't seem to score a lot. Um, bulldog mentality. You know, he wanted to be in St. Louis. He's actually from the Nashville, Tennessee area. So he wanted to be close to that. So really the only two teams that made sense were either us or the Atlanta Braves. Um, and he actually turned down a little bit more money from Atlanta to come here. So um, kind of a surprising move. Of course, Atlanta is a juggernaut of a team, um, but just something about our team and right. Something about St. Louis drew him here. Um, he's been quoted many, many times, you know, saying he just loves to pitch. He loves to discuss pitching with others. You know, some of his favorite memories on a baseball field are he's been quoted saying during spring training where they're running these these drills where all the starters are they're doing drills together and they can all just bullshit back and forth and talk about grips and 
um, spin rates and pitching and sequencing and all that stuff. He's, he's, he's the definition of a baseball pitching nerd. So um, a huge slam dunk of a signing for the Cardinals. I know I've said that about all three, but really I do love all three in their own ways. Um, and as an added benefit, Sonny Gray decided to backload his contract. So what that means is again, three years, 75 million equates to pretty even math, $25 million a year. But he pushed 15 million that he would be getting this year to the third year of his deal. So this year, 2024, he's only going to be getting paid $10 million. The year after 2025, he'll get 25 million. And then his last year of his contract, 2026, he'll get $35 million. So he offloaded some money to the last year of his contract. And what that does is it saves the Cardinals $15 million on this year, 2024's payroll. That, you know, signing Sonny Gray doesn't have as much of a financial burden as, you know, it normally would. Again, three years by 75 million is about $25 million a year. But at least this year, it's only he's going to be only on the books for 10. So that's a huge win because, you, you know, you add up the three starters that I just named. Lance Lynn got 12 million. Gibson got 10 million. And then this year, at least, Sonny Gray's only going to be worth $10 million. So that's $32 million collectively the Cardinals just spent to sign three durable workhorse pitchers, one of which is an ace. Sonny Gray is going to make the opening day uh, start for the Cardinals, right? So, $32 million and the Cardinals have, you know, they had almost, almost 65, 70 million that they really could, could logically spend. So the Cardinals just boosted their starting rotation tenfold of what it was last year and have really only spent about half the money that they really could. Now, will the Cardinals actually spend all 65 ish million that, you know, they are projected to have available? Probably not. They're cheap skates at heart. Right. Um, but they have made some moves here that are showing, you know, clearly they, um, they're in it, right? They last year was a disappointment. They don't want to do it again. They have a lot riding on competing next year. Um, this next year is going to be a heavy year, right? Um, again, coming off of a 71 and 91 season, we were 20 games below 500. We finished in last place. It was a disaster of a season, no matter how you look at it. They immediately want to bounce back. Clearly pitching was really our only downfall. And we just signed three durable pitchers. So they are doing, you know, they wouldn't be making the move, these moves if they weren't going to immediately try to contend for October next year. So it's very, very clear. But what a lot of people don't realize is next year is Marmol's last year of his deal. Typically, managers sign a three-year contract, which he did in 2022. Um, so 2022, 2023, um, now entering the 2024 season is the last year of Marmol's contract. So um, he has a lot to prove. If it's, I think it's pretty clear that, if the Cardinals don't do well next year, he will be replaced. But coincidentally, it's also the last year of John Mosellock's contract too. So he is our, again, he's not the general manager. Technically he's the president of baseball operations. The general manager for the Cardinals is Michael Gersh. Um, but John Mosellock used to be the GM and now he's essentially just the GM with a different title. So he's in his last year of his deal. So if this next year goes South again, you have Paul Goldschmidt coming off the books you have Tyler O'Neill coming off the books. If he's not traded before then you have Kyle Gibson coming off the books, Lance Lynn coming off the books. <laughs> Excuse me. You're talking, you know, over $50 million coming off the books this next off season with a GM spot open, potentially with a manager spot open, potentially. Um, it, this is kind of a crossroads off season, right? Which direction do the Cardinals want to go? 
Um, and I think I think having these three moves, one are very, very safe. It gives it it definitely boosts the Cardinals ceiling next year. You know, even if next year goes horribly south, I think with these three moves that the Cardinals just made, you know, the worst possible outcome is now, you know, not going to be as bad as it, you know, what it just was, right? It raises the Cardinals um, floor for next year. So again, I, I, I always talk about floor and ceiling, right? And normally I do that in regards to a player, right? What's the floor of the player? What's the most likely outcome? You know, even if everything goes wrong, what is this player capable of, right? That's the floor. And then of course the ceiling is if everything goes right, what is this player capable of? So I can also talk about floor and ceiling in regards to next season, right? 2024, what is, you know, everything goes wrong. What is the Cardinals floor, right? What, what will they still be able to accomplish if next year is a dumpster fire? And I think with these three pitchers signing, um, you know, again, we just finished 71 at 91. I think, you know, even if everything goes wrong next year, I think we're still a 500 team, right? We're still around 80, 82 wins next year. If everything goes wrong. So that is again a slam dunk move. And I think if if everything goes right and our defense gets a little better and Nolan Arnato hits a little bit better next year and um Lance Lennon, Kyle Gibson give us quality innings at the back end of the rotation, Sonny Gray puts in another, you know, maybe Cy Young season and Matthew Libertor takes a step forward and Michaelis takes a step forward and you know, you get pretend everything goes right, we're a world series contender. So these three moves, again, I don't think the Cardinals are done. I think you know, having another starter somewhere in that two to three range, you know, again, hypothetically, let's say we're at next year's offseason. We're going into game one with Sonny Gray. We're going into game two with Miles Michaelis. And then there's some combo of Steven Matz, Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. And, and to me, that's not where a World Series contending team needs to be. Um, I think, you know, the Cardinals have have uh, have made all of these little little articles and quotes about Tyler O'Neill getting traded and Dylan Carlson potentially getting traded and um, Alec Burleson potentially getting traded and Steven Matz, they've even floated around getting traded. So I think they have the pieces to, you know, maybe clear some of this depth and get a pitcher that's maybe not as good as Sonny Gray, but better than Miles Michaelis. I think that would really kind of immediately vault the Cardinals to the top of the rotation. I'm sorry, top of the division next year, at least you know, looking outside, looking in, depending on what these other teams do as well. So three great signings, you know, it is kind of funny to me that all three of them follow similar trends, right? They're all very durable. They all have tons of quality starts. I think between the three of them, they add about 45 quality starts to the rotation that again, the Cardinals had about 50 last year total. Um, So three players that the Cardinals just signed, are going to have just as many quality starts as our whole rotation last year. Um, something kind of interesting is all three of them made the playoffs with different teams. Um, Sonny Gray with the Minnesota twins, Kyle Gibson with the Baltimore Orioles, and then Lance Lynn made it with the Dodgers. Now, um, all of them lost in the first round, but either way, they all, you know, played all of August and September with a playoff mindset and went into the playoffs and Sonny Gray and Lance Lynn made starts in the postseason, right? So, you, you know, you always want that postseason experience on your team and they just added, you know, all three of them. And they're all, of course, veterans. They're going to add a veteran presence to not only the rotation, but just the clubhouse in general. <laughs> and most important of all, they all three wanted to be a Cardinal. Kyle Gibson grew up in Indiana, right? He's best friends with Adam Wainwright. Sonny Gray lives in Tennessee. Lance Lynn, you know, started his career in St. Louis, right? They all wanted to come back. So um, I think, you know, great way to start to start the offseason. 
Um, again, I don't think we're done. I think the rotation is maybe done. I think the only reason why I already, I already know that a couple of my buddies are going to listen to this and they are going to be like, there's no way we're done with the rotation. Like we can't go into the, to the season with Michaelis as our number two. Yes, I agree completely. If I, if I was the GM, we would have already traded for Dylan Cease or someone like that, of course. But I think the Cardinals have, again, they've raised their floor on what next season can look like by so much with those three players that I think, you know, you see how April, May, and June go, and you can always trade for another one in July if you need to. Now, I don't, I think that's the Cardinals kind of backing themselves into a corner a little bit, but also, you know, you do have these players that, you know, you are hoping Matthew Libertor can take a step forward. You do have McGreevy and Graceffo and, um, you know, some of these other players, Takoa Roby, who we just got from the Texas Rangers, you have these guys that are all in AAA that, you know, you want them to get opportunities as well. So I can definitely, here, let me rephrase this. Would I do this? No. Could I see the Cardinals going into the to the season with this rotation and making adjustments in July? Absolutely, right? Um, so we'll see. I definitely think the bullpen needs some adjusting. You know, again, kind of where do we go from here? That's the next segment that I wanted to go into. Again, last year, you know, you look, it was it was pitching, 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 but let's 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 tear the curtain back a little bit more. What about the pitching was so terrible? And really it was one run games, it was blown saves. It was every time I watched the Cardinals try to, you know, nail down a one run game in the eighth and ninth inning, we were blowing the lead. You know, you, you look at the you look at the seasons that Helsley and Gallegos had, and really they weren't they weren't that bad which, you know, maybe didn't seem like it if you watched the games. But besides those two, we had no trust in anyone else to nail down the last couple innings of a game. JoJo Romero pitched phenomenal down the stretch. Um, if the Cardinals decide to sign another pitcher, starting pitcher, I think Steven Matz maybe moves to the bullpen. You have a lot of lefties. Again, you have JoJo Romero, you have Steven Matz, you have Zach Thompson, who's now going to go to the bullpen. You have Matthew Libertor, who looked pretty good out of the bullpen last year. You have John King, who pitched a lot of innings for the Cardinals, came over from the Texas Rangers in July. Um, I think we're okay with lefties. I think where the Cardinals will pivot to now is a legitimate back end of the bullpen right-handed uh, right-handed pitcher that they can kind of pair with Ryan Helsley and Gallegos. Now, Helsley had a phenomenal year when he wasn't injured. I still think you pencil him in as the closer. Um, but if you can sign a high strikeout guy, um, that again, you can kind of maybe take turns with Gallegos pitching the seventh, eighth, right? Depending on matchups and all that stuff. Um, just adding another back into the bullpen piece is where the Cardinals are going to go from here. Now, um, offensively, defensively, I think they're set, right? Mosellock has been quoted, you know, giving his prediction on what the lineup, you know, if the season started tomorrow would look like. And I think it's pretty telling. And this time I will pat myself on the back because I kind of called this a couple seasons or I'm sorry, a couple episodes ago, I said, you know, Edmund in center field win at shortstop. And that's exactly what he said, right? He said, Carlson um, will be the fourth outfielder. Newt bar Walker and Edmund would be the starting outfield as you know, at, if the season ended or started today with of course, Arenado, Goldie, um, Gorman and Donovan at second slash DH with Mason Wynn at shortstop. So that's what that's what the Cardinals, you know, want to do next season. Clearly, you know, John Mozeliak is usually always very tight-lipped, um, but this time he wasn't. So, um, you know, you always have to take those with a grain of salt, of course, because things can always change every day. But Mozeliak never, never, never 
ever like says a player's name. Like he, it never comes out of his mouth that, you know, Hey, we're looking to shop this player or whatever. He's always super vague with his answers. So the fact that he listed an entire lineup for you um, is pretty notable because you can look at who he didn't name. And it's pretty notable that those players will probably, you know, not all be traded of course, but he's looking, you know, <coughs> let's talk about the players he didn't name. Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, Alec Burleson, Ivan Herrera, right? Those are the players that he did not name that are on the major league roster. So expects probably one, maybe two of them to be traded for some type of pitcher slash bullpen guy. Um, We're in the winter meetings right now, so it could happen any moment. You know, I've checked my phone like three times while I've been recording this just because I kind of wanted something to happen while I was recording this so I could break it, but um, nothing has really happened. So we will see how it goes. Um, Outside of the Cardinals news, uh, Juan Soto is about to be traded to the New York Yankees. So, you know, for those of you that care about that, there we go. Um, And I think that's really all I got for you right now. So, again, those three players were very notable. Um, What happened about 30 minutes ago was the Cardinals did select a couple minor league players from the Rule 5 draft. Um, But I'm not really going to talk about the Rule 5 draft, what that means, um, because none of them will really play a huge role for us. Um, next season now the the one guy we did sign from the from the Boston Red Sox I'm not sure of his name off the top of my head but he's a triple a reliever um he got picked by us in the major league portion of the rule five draft so there's a major league portion and a minor league portion we picked him in the major league portion which means he immediately goes onto the 40-man roster so let's kind of visit the 40-man roster back so again we were at 40 out of 40 at the beginning of the episode we non-tender Kisner, Woodford, Yepes, and Hudson. That puts us at 36. You add Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, Sunday Gray. We're now at 39. And then the player that we just took in the Rule 5 draft, you know, immediately gets put on the 40-man roster, um, which makes our 40-man back at 40. So, you know, if the Cardinals were to sign anyone else, they would have to make a move, right? 40 out of 40 is um, pretty notable because, you know, of course I expect the roster to change between now and, and March, but you know, usually teams will keep the 40 man somewhere around the 37, 38 mark, um, all, you know, pretty much at all times during the off season to, you know, allow them some flexibility. If they decide to sign someone, they don't necessarily have to like drop someone or whatever to make room on the 40 man. They just give themselves room, you know? So the fact that the Cardinals are right in the heart of the winter meetings right now on December 6th with a full 40 man roster again, is pretty notable. So we will, uh, we will see how it goes from here. But again, that's all I got for you now. So I will, you know, the off season is kind of a fluctuating fluid time of time of the, of the season, because, you know, there's no, uh, there's no dead set deadline on when things are going to happen. Um, a trade or a signing could happen at any moment. So um, that's all that's kind of happened thus far. If, you know, anything notable happens, of course, I'll make a shorter episode. You know, if the Cardinals decide to make a big trade or whatever, you know, I'm not going to give I'm not going to give it two weeks to talk about it. So as of now, that's all I got for you. As always, if any anybody has any questions or if anyone has any concerns or, you know, topics that they want me to discuss, always feel free to send it to me. But for now, that's all I got. Peace.